I really appreciate you coming to a Bible study, especially on a summer evening and especially in the book of Haggai. Uh, but we are in chapter 2 of Haggai. We know it's the year 520. They've come back from Babylonian captivity. They've had 17 years where they've been under some kind of oppression, some kind of opposition, and they haven't got the temple built. Haggai comes out. The book is only two chapters. It's got three basic messages. Uh, and first they're explained, the first message is the reason you're having so much trouble is you're not taking care of what you're supposed to be here for. And part of what God needs is uh, for them to build the temple so the plan of salvation can continue to move forward. Uh, part of it is the fact that they need God's you know, word in their life, that they need the temples, so they can continue to be taught, they can follow God's ways. Uh, God wants to be honored, that's part of it. But as we go through this, God needs this temple built because it's taking the plan of salvation and, and moving it forward. The temple needs to be rebuilt. The Messiah needs to come. History needs to continue. And this is where they're at in history. They need to get this done. And so beginning in chapter 2 uh, of Hagee, I'll begin in chapter 2, verse 1. We're actually going to begin in chapter 2, verse 2, and start teaching down to verse 9 tonight. And... Uh, God is basically going to be telling them that he's with them, that his presence is with them, and that what they're doing is going to result in some great things. So chapter 2, verse 1. On the 21st day of the seventh month, uh, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. And here it is. Speak to Zerubbabel, and uh, son of Shatiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Again, talking to the leadership. And again, throughout this book and in Zechariah, we're going there next, uh, the, the, uh, the, uh, uh, the leadership is crucial, that the leadership is going to be the ones that are making the directions and, and, in a sense, motivating the people and setting the direction for the people. So he's supposed to speak to them. Uh, and, and, of course, the remnant will hear it also. And ask them, it says in chapter 2, verse 3, who of you is left who saw the house in its former glory? Now, there is a problem, as you know. Uh, the, the Temple of Solomon was great. It was glorious. And uh, they have heard about it. There's, they've got scripture written about it. Uh, some people may have remembered it. And what they've got here is they've got now, we'll just say, the, the second temple. If you want to call it the second temple, you could call it Zerubbabel's temple. But the sec second temple, as they've begun working on it, is very, very inferior to the legendary Solomon's temple. And so the people are not only oppressed by the, the world around them and by the, you know, the trade, they're also, in a sense, depressed because what they've done, they see their ability, they see their building materials, and they realize... It's nothing. And, and Zerubbabel, or excuse me, Haggai is not going to come in and be nice to him. You know, well, that, that's pretty good, you guys. You know, it's okay. You know, God understands. He's going to come right out and tell them. It, well, he's going to say, it looks like nothing. It, it, you see what you've done? It is as if you've done nothing. In your, when you look at that, it doesn't look like you've made any progress at all. It, 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 so he's, he's going to go right after the issue, not going to color code it. Or uh, color code it, what do you say, sugar coat it. Who of you is left who saw the, this house in its former glory? Now, I've got written down there, this is 520 B.C. The, this one got destroyed in 586. This is 520. 
So by 520, if someone was six, it happened 66 years before. So if they had, let's say you're a four-year-old, you'd have to be 70 years old. If you saw the temple when you were four, you would be 70 years old now in 520. So anyone that can remember is going to be between 70 and 100 years old. Now if we go back to 538, 537, uh, that age would switch from 53 to 100. So when they first came back in 537, 538 B.C., uh, someone of the age of 53 may have saw the temple when they were four or all the way through up to, you know, 100 years old. But right now, when he, he makes that statement, he asks, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? That's not an empty question uh, because there probably is somebody there, not many, but somebody there that remembers as a child, as a child, remember seeing uh, if they were four, they'd be 70. If they were 14, they'd be, they'd be 80, 84. Uh, and he asked them, who of you remembers seeing this? Now, it, it doesn't appear that Haggai remembers because he doesn't say who of us remembers. He says who, who here remembers. And so he doesn't remember himself. Who is left of you who re- saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? I mean, now, now compare. You saw what it looked like in its glory. Look at what we've done. And he says, does it not seem to you like nothing? When you remember what you saw, or even if you heard the stories, and you look at what we've got here, we've basically got the same thing as nothing. Now, that's a pretty, that's a pretty graphic statement. Uh, they've got, there's something there. Uh, but he says, it's, it, in your eyes, it looks like nothing. There's nothing there to even, you, you've done zero. And he's going to start at that basis and begin building. Uh, but now, be, okay, uh, does it not seem to you like nothing? Now, verse 4. But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Now, notice right here, there's several times he inserts the phrase, declares the Lord, because he is speaking for the Lord. And I'm going to show you two places. I'm going to show you Joshua. And amazingly, I'm going to show you, uh, in, I think it's uh, in Chronicles, uh, David speaking to Solomon uh, in, in, as he gets ready to build the temple. And they're going, they're going to be very similar. It's almost like Haggai is taking Joshua's words, or the words that God spoke to Joshua, and the words that David spoke to Solomon, and picking them, picking them up. So there's several things here. You've got a prophecy, but you've also got the Word. He is actually going to be using the written text of Scripture from uh, Joshua, from the, uh, the Chronicles, and is going to be speaking that along with his prophecy. And this word is going to come up again later because it's going to be combined with the Spirit of God. And this is going to become another issue coming up. The word and the Spirit are working together here. Um, let me read what he says again. He says, But now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people. Uh, of the land declares the Lord. So right within that saying, he says, declares the Lord two different times at the beginning and at the end, the Lord is speaking prophetically. But you have a great example, as I'm going to show you this, of the prophet basically quoting from Joshua and Chronicles the Word of God and saying, it's it's God speaking to you, which we do all the time. You don't want to take things out of context, 
uh, but you do see the word that's written on these pages. It's not just historical, it's, it's speaking to you also. For example, when we're te- in fact, some people, for, when you break down the gifts of the Spirit and what's happening, I think there is a gift of prophecy that is available as the Spirit enables uh, people. Uh, and that's, you know, we can talk about that at another time. Some people think all the gifts have passed away except the gift of encouragement or something. Uh, but some people even take and reduce the gift of prophecy all the way down to Bible teaching. For example, I've heard certain people teach that right now I would be prophesying because I'm reading the Word of God. Uh, now again, th- there's a truth within that because that's what in a sense is happening here. He's taking the Word and speaking it to the people. Uh, I, I don't think that. I think, for example, I think I'm teaching the Bible. But when people erase the gift of prophecy, they've got to figure out where is it at in the church. Well, they say, well, it's right here and we're teaching. And in a sense, that's happening. Whenever you t- read the Word of God, there is the Spirit that you have that's bringing it to life for you. And if, if, if Haggai is quoting out of Joshua Chronicles to these people, it's relevant to them right here. So it's just kind of an interesting example. We're far enough along in Scripture historically that they've got the text, the Scripture, that they can read and teach the Word of God to their people, just like we're doing today. You know, like a lot of times you think about the Bible days, like it was like this window of time in the past, but the Bible times began in the garden, comes all the way up to the end of Revelation, and that's, you know, you know some four or 5,000 years, depending on how you break it down. And they had the Word of God that they could read and study and proclaim and compare. Daniel was reading Jeremiah and saw the prophecy fulfilled. He heard the prophecy spoken, lived long enough to see the prophecy fulfilled, and says, this is the prophecy being fulfilled. Well, here he's going to be saying these same things, talking to Zerubbabel, Joshua, and the people. And he says, Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you. So he says, Be strong. And this is going to be connected here. They're going to be strong. What are they supposed to do with that strength? They're supposed to work. And the work they're supposed to do is build the temple. And he says, Because I am with you which is very interesting, he's going to come back and talk about this later, that his presence is with them. He's going to prosper, bless their work, and they need to continue to be strong. And if if they will be strong, if they'll continue to work, that gives God, again, the opportunity to use them like as a vehicle to get his work done. You be strong. Don't give up. You look at what you've done. It doesn't look, it looks like nothing. Don't let that, don't let what you see influence you. Just keep moving, keep going. Be strong, keep working, because whatever you do, it may be nothing, but I'm going to take whatever you do, and he's going to say, eventually he's going to say, as you know, he's going to say here, the glory of this temple is going to be greater than anything we've done in the past. In other words, the little bit of work that they can get done and the strength that they can muster to do this little bit of work, that's going to be enough for God to take and and explode it into a a big thing. And, of course, right there, that is... Uh, a word for anybody at any time whatever god's called you to do you just keep doing it because if god can say i am with you uh, your job is just to keep your nose to the grindstone and just keep the thing moving so god can keep working through what you're doing and i'm going to go back and read uh, i've got i think i've got the verses written down here uh, on bottom of page uh, one it says 
there's the English Standard Version. Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. So three times in that verse he says, the Lord says, or the Lord is speaking. Uh, I've got Joshua. Go to Joshua chapter 1, verse 6. And I've got several verses I, I want to read to you, not just on this topic, but others here. So I, we'll be flipping through our Bibles tonight. Uh, be strong. Joshua chapter 1, verse 6 through 9. Um, the, the book begins, Moses uh, had died. And it, it, it's a, kind of a great way the, the book begins. Chapter 1, verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord... The Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. That's how the book of Joshua begins, of God speaking to Joshua. And he does it in a very similar fashion, uh, does the same thing. It's like, okay, let's face the facts. Just like Haggai says, well, look at what you've done. You remember the old temple? Yes, it was glorious. How does ours look compared to that? Yeah, I know. It looks like nothing. Right. So it looks like you're doing nothing. But what you need to do in this situation is be strong and keep working because I am with you. The book of Joshua begins very similar. The Lord speaks to Joshua after Moses has died and says, Joshua, my servant Moses is dead. What that means is you're now in charge. It's like we understand the situation. You've never been this leader before. You're replacing the legendary Moses. He's dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give you. You're going to go across the river. We're going to drop down to verse 6. He says, Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey the law my servant Moses gave you and do not turn from, the, from it to the right or to the left. So again, what he's tying right in there is, Joshua, you have inherited Moses' leadership. You and this people are fulfilling a promise I made to Abraham some 600 years before. You are standing on the brink of the Jordan, ready to go across. I've said we are going to do this. I told Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and, and, and Joshua, uh, Joseph that we were going to do this. And now here you are. So the word of God has already gone before him. God is with him. Moses has put him in a place of leadership. What Joshua's job to do here is, is be strong and courageous and, and just keep going because it will be successful. Uh, along with that same lines, uh, uh, go to First Chronicles 28, please. And uh, they're in the middle of the Feast of Tabernacles. When this is, That's the, the date that we gave. It's, it's the seventh day of the Feast of Tabernacles. And Solomon's temple was dedicated during the Feast of Tabernacles. So right here, it's a, a perfect time in 520 because they're celebrating the feast. That was the same feast that Solomon dedicated the temple on. And now we go to 1 Chronicles 28, uh, verse 20. And uh, David, if you read... oh. The chapter in my NIV Bible, the chapter's title, chapter 28 is titled, David's Plans for the Temple. Remember, David wanted to build the temple. Nathan first said, the prophet said, do it. Came back the next morning and says, no, you're not supposed to do it. Your son's going to do it. But David didn't build it, but he got everything ready. He made the plans. Uh, if you look down in verse 12 of chapter 28, 
It says, uh, oh, look at verse 11 of chapter 28. Then David gave his son Solomon the plans for the portico of the temple, its buildings, its storerooms, its upper parts, its inner rooms, and the place of atonement. He gave him the plans of all that the Spirit had put in his mind. So David is drawing up the plans for the temple. The Spirit, God won't let him build it, but he's putting the plans in David's mind. And David has got some kind of architectural skills or he's got some architectural drawing going on and maybe he's got someone helping him. Uh, I mean, the guy is a shepherd. He's a warrior. He's a king. Well, now he's, in, got, he's doing some engineer drawing and architectural drawing. Uh, they got to put in his mind. Uh, oh, I could read more there. But uh, David's also got all of the material ready to go. Now, after he's given him the plans, the material's all stacked up, ready to go. In chapter 28, verse 20, uh, and you've got to think that Haggai or at least consider Haggai is referencing what God said to Joshua in chapter 1 and what David says to Solomon before he began building the temple right here in verse 20 of chapter 28 of 1 Chronicles. David also said to Solomon his son, Be strong and courageous and do the work. I mean right there, does that sound like Haggai's quoting Chronicles 28 verse 20? Be strong and do the work. What's the work that David's telling Solomon to do? Build the temple. What's the work that Haggai's, or the Lord is telling the people through Haggai? Build the temple. Do not be afraid or discouraged. My gosh, it almost sounds like that's exactly the right words for uh, the people that Haggai's talking to. You can't imagine, I mean, I don't have in my mind Solomon ever being afraid or discouraged. That is not the image I have of Solomon. It's like the guy just seems like he's got unlimited resources, unlimited wisdom. Uh, But David is saying, do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord God, my God, is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you until all the work for the service of the temple of the Lord is finished. In other words, he wants this done. He's got the material. Uh, He gave me the plan. You're the man that he said is going to do it. You just have to be strong and courageous and just keep going because God is going to do it. Uh, it's kind of like the, in Revelation where it says, Jesus says, uh, See, I've set before you an open door. Uh, it was the church of Philadelphia, I believe. I've set before you an open door that no man can close. Meaning it's like people may come against you. But, and that would go, I would believe that would go for anything that God has called you individually to do. If you've got a gift, if you've got a ministry, if you've got something that God is calling you to do. Uh, I mean, even if you want to consider it, you know, simply maturing in Christ, you know, growing and maturing. There's an open door. Uh, you, you, there, no one's going to be able to shut this door. You just need to stay strong and courageous and keep maturing or keep using your gift, keep proceeding with what God has called you to do because God is with you. Now, that's, again, we talk about secular humanism. Uh, it goes right back, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Uh, that doesn't mean you get to choose the door. I mean, that, that's, the, that's the part of maturing. And again, I can, you know, the Bible, I think, confirms that. And I can talk about my own personal stories. 
uh, I don't get to choose how I'm going to serve the Lord. Because if I was going to serve the Lord, I, you know this, it's ridiculous, uh, but it was really what I wanted. Uh, I would be a lead singer with a rock and roll Christian band uh, singing songs and playing guitar licks and all kinds of things for the Lord, of course. Uh, and I don't have the talent, the gift, the personality. to. Uh, you can imagine me being in a band. I mean, I don't even, I don't even function well in society, let alone with band people. And so... Uh, that that's that was my but that door was just like god says i've set before you a door that is open no man can shut well in that case god has closed the door that i tell you no man is going to open and so that was just a matter of hitting my head against that door so many times it's like well what else is there and it's like what well you could be a bible teacher it's like oh i guess i'll do that but that's really not what i wanted to do uh but anyway when the door is open you run through okay enough of that but it's kind of interesting to see, uh, going back to a Haggai chapter 2, verse 5, uh, that Haggai is saying the same thing to the people of 520 that God had said to Joshua when they crossed into the land, and David said to his son Solomon when he began building the temple. And again, the key there being God is with them. God's presence is there. God's presence is with them when they entered the land, that God's presence is with Solomon as he's building the temple. And God's presence is right here in 520 as these people are building the temple. I'm on the notes now, please. Uh, bottom of page 2. Um, I'm going to go back and read uh, verse 4 into verse 5. Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work. For I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. Now watch verse 5. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. He says, I am with you. Right here. That, in, if you have that, that end right there, the end of verse 4, I am with you. It's like, he hasn't been with them. He hasn't been with them. They've been just wandering. Now all of a sudden, he's with them. No, that's not what he's saying. He said, well, I wasn't with you in 539. I wasn't with you in 530. He says, no. I'm with you according to the covenant I made when you came out of Egypt. Meaning, I'm with you just like I have been since I led you out of Egypt. As surely as there is a pillar of fire leading you through the wilderness, I've led you through your history. I took you into captivity. I stirred you and brought you back out of captivity. I've been with you these 17 years, and now I'm still with you according to the covenant. I'm not just showing up. Because where's God been this whole time? Well, they haven't been working. They haven't been strong. They've been discouraged. And he's been blowing their stuff. He's been with them, but he's been blowing away all their product. He's been blowing away their food and their income and all the work of their hands. It's like, now, would you, Haggai says, now, would you, if you get started, God is with you, but now he's going to help you get this done. So, chapter 2, verse 5, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst fear not so it's like i've been here the whole time and again that's something again we can take uh I mean, if you're saved if you're born again the spirit of god lives with you you have emotions you feel close to god you don't feel close to god but god's word would always be fear not be strong be working because i'm with you oh good you're with me now well maybe you know, like 
maybe you feel like I'm with you now, but I've been with you according to my covenant, my new covenant. At the point of the new birth, I'm with you. I'm always with you. I've never left you. And again, that's where, emo- that's where doctrine's nice. It's fun to have emotions, but you don't want to have your Christian life running on emotions. You want your Christian life running on doctrine because emotions come and go, and your, 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 your sense of God's presence comes and goes, if that's even a, a real thing. But doctrine is solid. It's, and once you're born again, the Spirit of God is with you. Once you've got a gift, the Spirit of God is with you. So he tells them, according to the covenant of you, when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Now, right there I said something about the word and the spirit. When it says the covenant, that covenant would be the word. According to the word and my spirit remains among you. So right there in that verse, according to the word I gave you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains with you. So there you've got the word and the Spirit that has been with them the whole time. They've got the promise of Abraham. They've got the Spirit of God or the presence of God, and they're working. Chapter 2, verse 6, the bottom of page 2. For thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. So first of all, heavens and earth, sea and dry land, that's all-inclusive. I mean, that's... that's uh, not just the nation, not just the group of people. That's, that's the entire universe. I mean, you can't get any broader. Heavens, earth, sea, and land are going to be shaken. We can say right there, everything in the physical universe is going to be shaken. And it's going to, God is going to shake it. And several things are said here. For thus says the Lord God of hosts, as if he's got to say it again. We've already said three times uh, a couple verses ago. Now he says, for thus says the Lord of hosts. Haggai is always coming back to this. The Lord is speaking right now. The Lord is, I am giving you the word of the Lord. This is not my motivational speech. Thus says the Lord. Once more. So once more, that means it's happened previously. That God at some point has shaken the heavens and the earth, the sea and the, and the land. Now, our first go-to would be Exodus. When he shook Mount Sinai and gave them the law. That would be, again, an obvious one, and probably most likely the one he's referring to. When he shook the mountain, and it wasn't just God reaching out and shaking a mountain, it was God's presence coming down to the earth, a theophany causing the shaking. We see that taking place in different times, uh, if it be Micah or the prophets of God, if it's Isaiah and the temple, the thresholds were shaking, you see God's presence coming. We could even consider this being... Uh, the flood when God d- reset history when he wiped out the, the 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 life on earth except for Noah and the ark uh, he shook the heavens the earth uh, the sea the land everything was shaken and he reset it there's an example but here he's saying once more I will uh, shake the heavens and the earth the sea and the land and then he says a little while. So, once more Meaning he's already done it. This will be the second time. And then he says, a little while is how it's translated there in the English Standard Version. Which is going to cause some problems like it always does uh, when you're talking about prophecy or events. Uh, if it es- Eschatology. Because so many times we see uh, in Revelations, uh, these things will happen soon. 
And according to some theologians, and I would be uh, in a group that would say, it all hasn't happened yet, we're still waiting. Yet some things did happen, like uh, when Jesus says this generation will not pass away, well, that generation that he was speaking to didn't pass away until they saw the destruction of Jerusalem, but they certainly didn't see him returning in the sky or meeting him in the air. So some things were soon, some things were soon, but haven't happened yet. Uh, and so you have that, that, that tension between in just a little while, what does this mean? In just a little while, is God going to shake the heavens and the earth? I'm going to show you, uh, this is true in the sense that it's going to happen during the Persian Empire. It's going to happen right here for these people. But yet, as this we read on, it's going to happen, we'll just say, in the end. Or eschatologically, there's yet an event taking place. The idea here is the Persian Empire, or at this time, in just a little while. And again, you're going to have to make... There's several things in these verses coming up that it's like you've got to kind of sift through and, and see how... It's like a puzzle. It's like, how does it fit? And sometimes when you're, you have a translation, it kind of makes all, puts all the pieces together for you. But sometimes you need to kind of consider... Because different translations put things together in different ways. But the reason for the shaking is to shake the silver and the gold out of the nations back to where it's supposed to be. God is going to say very clearly, the silver and gold is mine. This is going to be one of the points of doctrine here. Is all the silver and all the gold, all, all the economic, economic wealth of the world, it's God's. And just because some nation has it or George Soros has it, it's not theirs. They have it because God has allowed them to have it. But when he's ready, he's going to take it back and use it for what he intends. In fact, if he gives it to somebody and they're using it, God is allowing them to use that money for whatever purpose they're using because they're actually pushing God's plan forward. Again, we've talked about this in Brace for Impact. You can't always understand how can someone with evil intentions be using their money who's working against God be moving God's plan of salvation forward. Surely that man should be stopped. Well, now you go back to the whole life of Jesus. How many times did things happen in Jesus' life where they opposed him and all they did was move him forward, get him closer to the goal? Joseph, going to say he's going to eventually be the leader of his family. Uh, he gets sold into slavery. Uh, what was that? And he even said it. Joseph said it so well when his brothers came. He says, you intended it for evil. God meant it for good. And so Satan, the fallen angels, evil people, they can have all their evil intentions and try and come against God. But every time they attack, they just move the ball closer to the goal line. It's like, you meant it for evil, but you just gave me a first down. Thank you. I mean, that's just the way it works. And so when God says the silver and gold is mine, he means that even today someone else may have it, but they're using it to help move his plan forward, even though they may be using it in an evil sense. That's, it's like, well, that's hard to understand. Well, that is, that is meaning Yahweh is sovereign and is ruling over all. But he is going to shake the heavens and the earth, and this silver and gold is going to be brought in, and it's going to help in 520, help the temple be built and finished by 516. Now, we've already seen this. It's like, how does this happen? Well, they've got to get logs from 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 uh, Lebanon, they've got to get other equipment and material uh, into the land. But it's already started with Cyrus's decree. 
What did Cyrus do? He decreed they're going to go back. And what did he give them? He took the gold that Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple. So God had the gold in his temple. Nebuchadnezzar takes the gold, brings it to Babylon, and says it's mine. And even Belshazzar ended the, his, his life, ended the Babylonian Empire, drinking out of the golden goblets of the Lord. It's like, ha, ah, look, we're drinking out of the Lord's golden goblets. What's he going to do? Well, he's going to slay you and take those golden goblets back to his temple because all the gold is his. It's just, it just was over here for a while. So Cyrus began this entire process as, as, as this shifted as, in a sense, a shaking. Uh, Babylon fell to Persia, and Cyrus takes the gold that was taken to Babylon, gives it back to the exiles that are returning, and they've already brought some of the gold, has already been brought back in, which in, in itself is amazing to see that that gold has already come back. Uh, but that, that's going to take place, has already begun taking place in 520, and is going to continue until the temple is built. But it's also talking about the end. So I'm going to read verse 6 again. For thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. Um, and I, I write down in the... You know, Exodus 19, 18, once more, as I got the same thing I've said to you before there. Uh, we should stop and read this uh, in, in Isaiah 60. But I, got, I want to come to Isaiah 60 again, but I'm going to go to Isaiah 60, please. And then we're going to go to Hebrews. Because this shaking is an eschatological, however you work this out, the people that are going to build the temple, beginning in 520 up to 516, they're going to supernaturally, if I want to, supernaturally, when you say supernaturally, uh, it gives you the impression they're going to get up one day and all the timber is all just laying there like God just brought it and dropped it off in the night. But supernatural can also be the breaking down of the the trade barriers and, and all the 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 labor force that is striking or they won't participate all of a sudden the persian empire is going to be cooperating the people of lebanon are going to be cooperating and the, and the timber are going to get delivered everything's going to begin to work out that would got to, i'm going to shake this and everything's going to work out and you're going to have all the building materials you need and god is going to see to it um that's that's 520 but in isaiah 60 verse 5 we need to come back and read this again I should, I should just read verse 1 because this is one of those end-time verses that, that ties in with what we're looking at tonight. Uh, I'm going to read chapter 60, verse 1. We could read this whole chapter, and we probably should, but I, I really want to make ground tonight in Haggai. Chapter 60, verse 1 of Isaiah. Arise and shine, for your light has come. He's talking to the people of God. And the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples, over the nations. So Israel, the light has risen on you, but the nations are in darkness. But the Lord rises upon you, and His glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. That's a prophecy that's going to yet be fulfilled. I mean, you can see it taking place throughout history at different times, but it's going to be fulfilled where there's going to be light in Israel. The world is going to be wrapped in darkness, but the light is going to be in Israel, and the nations are going to see that light 
Because they've gone off into false philosophy. You can say false gods. You can say false religions, false philosophies. We can say false realities. They've created their own truths. And they're all wrapped up in the darkness of their confusion. But Israel has remained in the Word of God as God has worked with them through history. And He's got some work yet to do. And when the nations see them living in the reality of God's Word and the reality of God's creation, they're going to come to that light for guidance. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look about you. All assemble and come to you. Your sons come from afar. And this is now the Jews returning. And he goes on. I could read through that whole thing. But the idea is there is nations are going to be coming to Israel. And that is written around 700 B.C. But talking about the distant future. Now, go to Hebrews chapter 12. Because... This verse in Haggai is a direct reference uh, used by uh, the writer of Hebrews. Um, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 26. Again, I, I'm in the middle of a chapter. We're in the middle of this book on Sunday morning, so I want to like try to catch up. I'm trying to discipline my mind and just do what we're supposed to do right here i'm going to begin in verse 25 i'm going to do it not much but you know in chapter 11 it's all about faith there's nothing in there about righteousness or abraham was you know a good man or jacob was a good man it's all about they all had faith they all had faith they all had faith it's like well where's what about sin and living above sin well that's that's chapter 12 chapter 12 is all about okay now that you've got faith let's get in line with god and that kind of picks up where we're at in verse 25. Chapter, 11, chapter 12 of Hebrews, verse 25. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? Talking again about the Exodus generation. Someone warned them on earth. Now you've had the Son of God come to earth and warn you from heaven. This is what's going to take place. Verse 26, at that time, his voice shook the earth. Now again, at that time, it would assume, we're, going to, we're assuming that's the Exodus or on Mount Sinai when he's giving them the law. At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised. And now this is where the writer of Hebrews goes back to the verse we're looking at. He's writing in Hebrews, talking about coming up and rising above sin. And he says, God spoke to them on earth, on Sinai, and it shook. And they didn't listen, and they were punished. Now we're going to have someone speak to us from heaven. What do you think is going to happen if we disobey him? There's no coming back from this. You've disobeyed the Son of God himself. And God is coming. You're in a period of grace right now. But it says, at that time his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised... Once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. Meaning in the future, when, he come, when it comes time for the end, judgment is coming. And if you've rejected Jesus Christ, the voice from heaven, there's, there's no coming back. It says, once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words, once more. This is now the writer of Hebrews teaching you what that verse means. The words, once more, indicate what? The removing of what can be shaken. 
He says, when he says he shook Mount Sinai, but Haggai says, once more, God says through Haggai, once more I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the land. Well, what's that mean? What's once more mean? It means he's going to shake it and remove everything that can be shaken. He's going to shake it until a transition takes place and you move from this age into the next age. That next shaking is not going to be like Sinai. It's not even going to be like the flood of Noah. When he shakes it again, when it's done shaking, you're in a completely different world. He has changed it completely. Once more, indicating the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Anything that is temporal, he's going to shake it until it's gone, and that the only thing that's going to be left is eternal things in this coming age. That is the writer of Hebrews explaining what Haggai is talking about. Therefore, he goes on and says, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Well, that what, when it gets to the shaking, what do we have? You have a kingdom. You have the kingdom of God. And it cannot be shaken. Let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Now let's go back to Haggai. So that gives us some, some biblical uh, interpretation Besides me standing up here trying to, well, it could mean this, it can mean that. I think it's definitely, because in context, it's talking about shaking the nations. We're going to talk about shaking the silver and the gold, and they're going to use that to build the temple. But it also is talking about a greater shaking taking place. I'm going back to the notes, chapter 2, verse 7, on whatever page I'm on, 3. Haggai, quoting the Lord or speaking for the Lord, says, And I will shake all nations, so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. That's again a loaded verse. He says, Once again, I will shake. Now he says, And when he starts shaking the heavens and the earth and the land and the sea, also is going to be shaken in that the nations and what's going to be shaken out of the nations what's going to be shaken out of the nations what they need right now they need resources to build the temple he's going to shake resources out of the nations for the jews to finish building the temple but in the end he's also going to shake the nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in and i will fill this house with glory says the lord of hosts now a lot of things taking place there first of all point one shake he'll shake all nations it's going to be like isaiah they're in darkness they're being shaken and god has taken back what is his it can be silver it can be gold whatever is god's he's realigning it now the treasures of all nations shall come in this is going to be interesting possibly because this will explain some things that you've heard in the past uh if you look at the uh the Hebrew box with the Hebrew letters and the transliteration and the translation. I'll read it backwards. The first word, and I will shake all nations and they shall come, there's the word, to the desire of all nations. Okay, now understand that, that, see that right there, that word, to the desire. Now, you, you've got to make your own decisions. I've been reading commentaries. The desire of the nations, that's capitalized. Because what that, there's three ways of interpreting it. It's written down right there below, point two. 
three interpretations of the desire or the treasure of all nations shall come in. One, messianic. It's about the Messiah. The one desire, the desire of the nations is the Messiah. Now that's, keep that in mind. The other is non-messianic or non-messiah. It, it, three ways, all the nations will arrive with riches. Different ways of translating it. All the nations will send delegates with their riches. Or all the nations will help provide resources for the temple. Meaning it's talking about treasures. And then, on the next page, we'll come back to this. There's a blend of the two. It refers to both. Uh, in context, in 5.16, it refers to the treasures of the nations. It refers to resources because they needed to build the temple they don't need the messiah to come they need the wood the material to come that's their issue they're not standing around saying well this doesn't look like much because there's no messiah they're saying it doesn't look like much because we don't have much to work with god is promising them material in 516 and that's reinforced in verse 8 we'll look at that but then in chapter 2 verse 9 it starts talking about the shekinah glory the presence of god and he gives the talks talking about something taking place in the end after the temple is built that something's going to happen it's going it's gonna, the end word is going to be peace peace is going to come uh which is going to include the ideal of the messiah arriving uh so there's the idea the first thing is that the word desire right there it's translated in in going back a page chapter 2 verse 7 and you look at your own bibles uh, this is the English Standard Version. And I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. The verse before this, he says very clearly, the silver and gold are mine. I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. I'm going to get the silver and gold. I'm going to bring it back to where it belongs. It belongs with me. In fact, literally, do I have that written down? Where is I have it written down? Literally, is that coming up here? Yeah, the next page, point two, literally, to me the silver and to me the gold. That is, that's verse chapter 2, verse 8. Uh, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. And literally that means, to me the silver, to me the gold. And you can see that in the, that's, a, that's a literal translation. So God is talking about silver and gold in that verse. And he, I'm going to shake it and get it back to where it belongs. It's mine. I let George have it for a while. I let Persia have it for a while. But I'll shake it and bring it back to where it belongs. So he's talking about the money. So when we go back and look at uh, chapter 2, verse 7 in the English Standard Version on my notes. And I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations come in. He's talking about their treasures, the thing they desire, the material wealth. It's his. Now, I'm looking at my NIV real quickly. Uh, chapter set, 2, verse 7. In the NIV, I will shake all nations, and the desired of all nations will come. See? Now, they're, they're messing with the verbs, and they're messing with the, 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 the subject of the sentence. And they get that. Early church fathers, they took this verse, and the desire of the nations, it's... Uh, it, it is, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's plural. You see right there in chapter 2, verse 7 of the English Standard? So that all the treasures of the nation shall come in. It, it's plural. But they change it to singular, the desired. Meaning they want it to be a, a, a verse about Jesus. 
that God is going to shake the heavens and the earth and bring the Messiah in. Now that's, that's yeah, okay, we're, there's a Messiah, the Messiah is coming, the nations need the Messiah, uh, but this verse is not talking about God shaking the heavens and the earth and the Messiah coming. He's shaking the heavens and the earth so that he gets the treasures from the nation. What they treasure, he treasures, he wants it back. That's the context of that verse. Now, I've got these things written down. If you, I'll read through the notes. Uh, if you want to go with the Messianic, the phrase desire of all nations is understood to refer to the Messiah or Jesus. It was introduced early in church teaching because they, they always, they went there. Uh, and Jerome included it in his translation of the Latin Vulgate. So if you read the Latin Vulgate, it's the desire of the nations. It's capitalized. It looks like we're talking about Jesus. And so if it's in the Latin Vulgate, it's in the Roman Church. It's throughout the Roman Catholic Church until the 1500s. And then from there, it began to influence all the English translations. So it's not even a thought. In fact, I've got it in parentheses or in quotes and, ca- and capitalized with Jesus written above it in my Bible. Because that's, that's, that's the go-to. And you can go there if you want to. In fact, hymns. You've heard it in hymns. The desire of all nations. Um, Christians apply it to either the first or second coming. Augustine applied it to the second coming. This view is unlikely because nothing in the context so far speaks of anything other than material wealth. And rebuilding the temple with the impersonal material wealth of the nations. So you can do what you want. I, I can't, I, I mean, you notice I'm coming against Jerome, I'm coming against even modern translations, I'm coming against a little note that I've got in my Bible here. I do not think when it says, I will shake nations and the desire of the nations will come, he's not going to shake the nations and then the Messiah is going to come. And they don't, they don't even need to know that. What they need to know is, I'm with you, I'm going to shake the nations sooner than later and they're going to, the material's going to be there. Now, that's that idea. Uh, but at the same time, we have coming up here verses uh, about the glory. Now look in chapter 2, verse 8. Now you don't have to agree with me. If you want that to be Jesus, go for it. I don't think it is. Chapter 2, verse 8. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. Which kind of puts a cap on verse 7. What was chapter verse 7 about? It must have been about Jesus. He says, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. The treasures of the nations are going to come in because the silver is mine and the gold is mine. So far, we're talking about resources to build the temple. And that's what the people are... Zerubbabel, the high priest, the people. God says, hey guys, God is with you. He says, be strong, do the work. I'm going to shake the earth and get you the... I'm going to shake it right out of the nations. I've already started. Cyrus already gave you the gold. I mean, the timber's coming. They can't stop it. I'm going to bring it here. You build it. Your job is to work and be strong. My job is to shake the nations and bring you the material. That's what he's saying in 520. But as we know, the interpretation of the writer of Hebrews, and as we read on here, this this goes on. Because this house has to be built because God's plan of salvation is moving on down. And if they get this done, this is going to lead to even a greater glory. than You're looking back at the glory of Solomon's temple. It was just the building. But you're going to build a building. It's not going to be as nice as that building, but we're going to get it done, and I'm going to shake the heavens and earth and get you the material. But understand, once you get this done, what this is going to lead to is a glory 
greater than anything you could eat. Forget looking at Solomon's temple. We're going to dwarf it with where we're going. It's about the progress. Okay, so chapter 2, verse 8. Silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. I'm going to shake the world, and you're going to get it. Chapter 2, verse 9. Then he says, now again, the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. Once again, says the Lord of hosts. And Lord of hosts is, host means armies or the military, meaning the angelic forces uh, that are controlling all of history under God's direction. Some are in rebellion, but they're still under God's direction. Uh, he's the Lord of not just the good angels. He's the Lord of all, even the angels that claim to be gods themselves. He's their Lord. He's the Lord of all of them. So the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. The Hebrew literally reads, great will be the glory of this house, the latter. So now we're talking about two things. We're talking about the latter house, which would be uh, uh, the, 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 the latter glory of this house shall be greater. Let me do this again, because that's wrong. See what I just did? That's one of the ways of, of getting this mixed up right here. Because what is latter talking about? Is it talking about the latter house or the latter glory? We're talking about the same house this house but we're talking about the latter glory is going to be greater than the former glory the former glory how you spell glory okay former glory is solomon's and solomon's was glorious but this house this this what this whole chapter is about this whole message is about you look at that and you think it's nothing I mean, it amounts to absolutely, it's as if we haven't even done anything. Guys, it's stopped. You need to be strong. You need to do the work because I am with you. I'm going to shake heaven and earth and get you the material you need and understand this house, which is Solomon's house rebuilt, the latter glory in the end is going to be greater than Solomon's glory. And uh, here's how this all plays out. First of all, the Hebrew literally, Hebrew literally reads, Great will be the glory of this house, the latter. And I ask the question, which is latter, the glory or the house? NIV, King James, you can read it, the glory of this latter house. That's how they say it, the latter house. These other translations, the latter glory of this house. So the again, that's another decision you've got to make. Are you talking about... The, the former house and now the latter house? Or are you talking about the same house? That just had glory, but this is going to have a greater glory. And I think, as we go through this, I think we're talking about the glory. The latter glory is going to be greater. The house is, is in a sense, the same. It's just been rebuilt. Um, uh, I've got this written down here. Uh, this is similar to Isaiah. And when we start talking about the latter, we're talking about, uh, we're, we're pushing this into the end time, eschatology. Uh, it, it's part of that transition. That's why the writer of Hebrews talks about uh, coming out on the other side into a kingdom. Because once he starts shaking, he's talking about shifting kingdoms. We're going from the former 
into the latter, or from the former into the new. And this picks up in Isaiah. I've got several verses written down right here. Chapter 42, verse 9. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Chapter 43, verse 9. All nations gather together, and the peoples assemble. Who among them can declare this and proclaim to us the former things? Let them present their witnesses. And that's where God is saying, uh, we've got the former things and the future things, and I can tell you the former things and the future things, and these that don't know, they, they can't. If it's not with me, I am the only one, he says, that knows the future and can explain the former things that I also predicted were going to happen. Um, and that's what you've got going on there. Look at chapter 65, verse 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. Now you see, that verse right there ties into Hebrews and what's going on right here. The shaking and, and, the, and, the, and the latter glory being greater than the former glory because what's taking place is this kingdom is coming. We're talking now about this transition. Um, point four. Uh, we, I got some verses I need to read to you, and I, I really want to do it tonight. I hate to pick this up again next week. But let's see if we can wrap this up real quick. This ends then, that verse ends, uh, the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace. So once you have this latter glory that's going to be greater than this, there will be peace. Uh, shalom. Uh, it doesn't just mean absence of war, as you know. It means wholeness, completeness. It's going to be, it's going to be in the, aligned correctly. Things are going to be in the right order. Uh, uh, peace in this place. Uh, point A, I want last page five. Peace is shalom, which means completeness, soundness, welfare, uh, peace. Uh, some translate it prosperity. NIV translates it peace. See right there, if you translate that phrase prosperity, uh, you're still sticking with the silver and gold being material. And something, we're going to talk about material all the way through here. Maybe that's correct. I think we've talked about material, and now we're talking about the latter glory. We've gone on past material and talking about the end. And so I don't think, see, so that if you were going to just stay with material, you'd translate this peace as prosperity, wholeness, completeness. You've got everything. But I think we're making a transition, especially when we compare it to the nations. Uh, point B, that in the Hebrew, there's a word wah, W-A-W. It's translated and in most cases. One of the commentators says it's probably best to be translated because. It's not like in addition, for example, you'd read it this way. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former glory, says the Lord of hosts. And then it says, and besides that, this place I will give peace. Meaning the former, latter glory is going to be greater and I'm going to give it peace. Where they're saying that word wa can be translated into English just as easily as a because. So it would be the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts, because in this place I will give peace. Because what's going to say, when he says in this place, we're talking about the house, this temple, but also, it would include, as you look at it and you get into prophecy, the city of Jerusalem. Because this city of Jerusalem, he's brought peace, the glory here is greater. Or, vice versa, because the glory's here, 
there's wholeness here. It, it makes it a, a connection instead of just an additional thing. I don't have time to go through this. I really want to because it really come together, I think. Uh, the nations that have been shaken are going to have peace. They're going to have peace because of two things. One, voluntary. Or two, war. There's going to be peace in the nations. Either they're going to submit or they're going to be conquered. Like Rome conquered the world, the Lord is going to conquer the world. The voluntary peace, Micah 4. Uh, I've just got verses 1 and 2. We could read 1 through 4. It shall come to pass in the latter days. See that right there? It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established. The mountain, Mount Moriah, of the house of the Lord, that's this house, shall be established as the highest of the mountains. But that's not just a buzzword or a catchphrase. That, I think, is a topographical change. It's going to be lifted up. A mountain is going to form on Mount Moriah higher than any other mountains, which have also collapsed. Again, we can read verses on it. And it shall be lifted up above the hills, and people shall flow to it. That means the nations shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we, we may walk in his paths. And that is exactly what you see in Isaiah 60. Is the darkness in the nations, but when the light is in Israel, the nations start streaming to Israel. But those in Isaiah 60, it's going to be more of an ideal up there in darkness because they, they haven't voluntarily came to the Lord. So he strikes them and destroys them. And I got a, Zechariah 14 is also another reference of the war. There you clearly have Jerusalem being lifted up, Mount, Mount uh, Olive splitting. A lot of detail there. But when you put, and again, I'll, I'll try to do this next week maybe. When you put Haggai 2, verses 2 through 9 that we just read, along with Zechariah 14, Micah 4, Isaiah 60, and Isaiah chapter 2, you've got these events throughout them all. You've got topography change and Jerusalem being elevated. You have a battle. You have pilgrims traveling from the nations to Jerusalem. You have the nation's wealth being brought to Jerusalem. You have peace. In fact, the thing that unites all five of these passages is that word peace being established in the latter times on Mount, Mount Moriah. And then Yahweh teaching. And you can see Isaiah chapter 2 gets 1, 2, 3, 4 of the 6. Isaiah 60 gets 1, 2, 3 of the 6. But all of them get, all of them get pieces established. So you get a good picture of all of what's taking place there, that what Haggai is talking about, you've got to put Isaiah 2, Isaiah 60, Micah 4, Zechariah 14 all together and let them intertwine, united around the idea that peace will be established. And then, of course, you've got Hebrews, the author of Hebrews chapter 12, putting that verse in context. And that's where he gets all of his material from, is why he can say everything's going to be shaken and we're talking about a new kingdom. Is, he's looking at it right here. And that's where he, uh, Haggai is talking about tonight. Again, two things. He's talking about 520, that don't be afraid, be strong, and keep working. You're going to get the material that you need because God is going to, he's with you. But also, there's going to be another shaking that's going to take place, and all the nations will be shaken, and eventually uh, the peace is going to be established because God is shaking the nations. And that is, in a sense, both the beginning of their work in 520 and the end result. 
So you've got to do this at 520 because we're heading here and this is an important step. And again, for them, it seems like nothing. And God says, it isn't nothing. My life, your life, my ministry, your ministry may seem like nothing. Look at your ministry. It says nothing in your eyes. No, he says, I'm going to shake the earth and everything is going to fall into place. And so when we evaluate ourselves, uh, we got to take this into consider. Of all the things we consider, uh, they looked at their lives as there's nothing happening here. God says, no, no, no. You be strong. You keep working because I'm with you. You don't see what I'm doing. What's going to happen because of what we're doing is going to be a greater glory than anything that's happened in the Bible so far. There's a greater thing going to be, and you're going to be part of laying that foundation. That's, that's the basic message of that chapter. I'll pray and we're done. Father, do thank you again for the chance to look into these things. That we may consider your word and allow your word and your spirit to speak to us, to lead us and strengthen us, that we would not quit, that we would be strong and courageous and do the things you've called us to. But, Father, we also thank you for the glorious future we have, that we can live our lives now knowing that the greater days are yet to come. We do thank you for this opportunity and for the privilege of knowing you. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for your time.